0: Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks. And coming up today, what are the prospects of having a new farm bill in place by the September deadline? Senate Agriculture Committee member Sherrod Brown shares some of his priorities for this massive piece of federal legislation. Also this morning, have you ever known someone trapped in a toxic relationship? Maybe you yourself? In her new memoir, Virginia Bennett champions the cause of millions of women who, like her, have been snowed. And we have a special collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen for anyone who's ever struggled with accommodating the unique dietary needs of each individual family member. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, July 21st, 2023. Not only is the new Barbie movie in theaters, uh, but also Oppenheimer, the uh, film about the creation of the atomic bomb. And uh, people are, even though they are vastly different movies, uh, people are buying tickets to both uh, for this weekend. And a lot of folks are going to go see both of those movies. Uh, They're calling it Barbenheimer. (laughs) You know, Hollywood could have saved us some time and just uh, created one film for both, uh, you know, kind of combined the stories into into one. I mean, I'm just saying they could. By the way, this is kind of interesting with the uh, Barbie. The hashtag Barbie outfits has surpassed 246 million views on TikTok. Uh, the online retailer Boohoo says Pinterest searches for Barbie outfits have increased by 614 percent worldwide, uh, while searches for a pink outfit uh, jumped 194 percent worldwide. So it is—it seems that we are not just—I uh, mean, we, we are going Barbie crazy. We are going Barbie crazy. All the way around. Pinterest has more than 900 ideas for how to incorporate some of the iconic dolls fashion into your own wardrobe. On Google, Barbie-inspired outfits is a top-trending search with users in Texas, Florida, and, of course, the Malibu icons' home state of California leading the way. Barbie fashion was the most searched term by users in Utah— Tennessee, Arkansas, Oregon, and New York, being the uh, top five for the uh, term Barbie fashion. So Barbie fashion, Barbie-inspired outfits, uh, hashtag Barbie outfits, pink outfit, uh, all of those searches uh, have just exploded. Uh, Now, so if you're going to see the Barbie movie, expect to see not just a whole bunch of pink on the screen, but... uh, in the theater as well, it is just going to be a pink explosion, pink overload this weekend with the uh, debut of the new Barbie movie, and then there's Oppenheimer, and uh, somehow there are not as many uh, Oppenheimer inspired uh, fashion trends. <laughs> I don't, I don't know why. It's there's things. By the way, speaking of uh, entertainment, I did not even know that this was a thing, but. Apparently, the entertainment industry is avoiding another possible strike. You know, you've got the writers on strike, you've got the actors on strike, and uh, apparently uh, the union representing stagehands on Broadway was looking at maybe a strike. Fortunately, however, they have reached a tentative contract agreement with the Broadway League and... Disney Theatrical Productions. Um, Yesterday morning, they reached a tentative deal. Now, it still has to be approved by all of the members of the union, but it looks like they will avoid that strike unless something weird happens. It says here a work stoppage would have forced the closures of most of the shows on the Great White Way. I think 26 of the 28 shows on Broadway would have had to close. And more than a dozen touring productions would have had to uh, close as well. It also would have been the third strike in the entertainment world uh, with Hollywood actors and writers uh, already picketing. So at least they have come to an agreement there. And by the way, for those who were thinking, oh, do I really want to go to the movies um, or should I stay away in solidarity with the striking uh actors and writers. the This has been back and forth on social media. The Hollywood folks who are on strike say, no, go see the movie. That work has already been done. And one of the reasons why the studios are not giving into the demands of the writers and actors is because they're concerned about revenues at the box office. Uh, and so what better way to show those studios that the work of writers and actors is valued by the uh, by entertainment consumers than to go to the movies so they say go they can't go out and formally promote the new movies in theaters but they are encouraging on social media people to go enjoy the movies and uh, you know don't don't stay away from the theaters so just in case you were wondering about that they're couple of other uh, things, among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Phoenix just broke another record, having recorded now 19 straight days of temperatures at or above 110 degrees. For 19 straight days, 110 plus. And they are not done yet. Phoenix residents... uh, are in for several more days of excessive, extreme, not not just excessive, but extreme heat. And they're not alone in their misery. It says here about 90.5 million people, or roughly 27% of the U.S. population, are in areas that are experiencing dangerous levels of heat, uh, at least as of Thursday. 27% of the population. This is according to... An analysis of uh, data in the New York Times records, uh, record temperatures have been falling throughout the month of July in the entire southern band of the U.S. from California to Florida, and that extreme heat is going to generate some extreme health care costs in the U.S. New study from the Virginia Commonwealth University and the Center for American Progress found that intense heat will be responsible for more than 235,000 additional ER visits. Across the nation, and fifty six thousand hospital admissions, uh, hospital admissions. Researchers estimate those visits will cost around one billion dollars. So, just in medical costs to treat heat exhaustion and heat stroke and all of the related issues with respect to that, a billion dollars. We are going to spend to uh, recover from the heat. It's amazing. It's been crazy. Storms that we had yesterday cooled us off, didn't they? Wow. It is actually a little cool this morning as we are getting your day started. And it looks like it's going to be a cooler weekend. Um, I mean, we're not going to have the extreme temperatures here. We'll be in the 80s, solidly in the 80s. It is July, but that's certainly not extreme uh, by Northwest Ohio standards. But a little cool to start things off this morning. Uh, We're learning more about COVID. We are still learning, uh, even three years after the fact, still learning more about COVID. We all seem to know someone who was exposed to COVID-19, but never got sick. And now scientists may have figured out why. Researchers performed a genetic analysis of 1,500 people and found that some have a mutation That allows their immune systems to identify the coronavirus early. And those with the genetic anomaly were eight times less likely to get sick from COVID. It says about uh, one in ten people actually have this gene. It's like having soldiers that are prepared for battle and already know what to look for. And uh, they already know uh, how to identify the, the bad guys. Uh, according to uh, virologist, uh, virology professor uh, Jill Hollenbeck. And i interesting, one in ten of us have a gene that allows us to, and I wonder if it's just for COVID or, or other things too, because we all know somebody uh, who just never seems to get sick. And we all know someone who always seems to get sick, you know? You just look at someone the wrong way and they're, you know, laid up for a week. So I wonder if that's just restricted to COVID or if it's something universal. I don't know, but interesting that we're still learning more about COVID. And uh, speaking of science, this is crazy science. And we were talking about movies just a moment ago. You remember the Terminator movies with the, uh, with the robots, the uh, the Terminators that uh, could self-heal the, the metal that would heal itself, basically. Uh, they were indestructible because the metal could heal itself. Well, scientists earlier this week published a study showing that self-healing metal, like that of the murderous T-1000 in the Terminator movies, it actually is a real thing. Well, sort of. The research published in the journal Nature described how bits of pure platinum and copper spontaneously healed cracks created by, medical, uh, created by metal fatigue in nanoscale experiments, uh, these bits of platinum and copper would sim- uh, spontaneously heal cracks created by metal fatigue. The researchers also said that they hoped the discovery of what they call cold welding could one day be used to make self-healing machines and structures. You can make whole buildings that if they were to crack, what was the uh, the story last week about the roller coaster in uh, Carolina Carowinds, that had a uh, support structure that completely broke all the way through because of a uh, what they think is a stress fracture? Well, if you know they had this, that metal could heal itself and uh, would not pose a danger. So they hope one day that they can use that to make self-healing machines and structures. Unlike the movie, though, uh, the researchers say, unlike the Terminator movie, the process is not visible at the human scale. Brad Boyce, a Sandia National Laboratories material scientist who helped lead the study, says it occurs at the nanoscale and we have yet to be able to control the process. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds more than a little scary to me. You know what I mean? We know that it happens. We hope we'll be able to use it one day, but we we really aren't able to control the process, which is exactly how the Terminator thing started, isn't it? I mean, that's... <laughs> that's have you seen the Terminator? Have you seen what this can lead to? Let's uh, slow down, whoa, Nelly, here on this uh, whole thing for the time being. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started.
1: WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Partly sunny today with a high around 80. Partly cloudy tonight, alone low in the mid-60s. The Hancock County Sheriff's Office said a man fled the scene on foot after crashing his vehicle into the back of a truck. It happened in the western portion of the county on U.S. 224 near Township Road 123. The sheriff's office said the 27-year-old was driving westbound behind a pickup truck when he struck the back of the truck. The man then fled the scene on foot and a perimeter was established by responding deputies and he was quickly located a short distance from the crash. The man was transported to the Hancock County Jail and booked for a failure to stop after an accident. Assisting at the scene were the Hancock County Sheriff's Office drone team and the Finley Police Department canine unit. Get more on the website. A 21-year-old man from Fremont died while boating near Putten Bay last week, and WTOL 11 spoke with his father.
2: Sam Ickes Sr. He spent the day on Monday making funeral arrangements for his son. A wave hit the boat and threw him over. But on July 16th, the Coast Guard found his body in the water, and Sam Jr. is now the second son Sam, Sam Sr. has lost, after his son Donovan took his own life four years earlier. I mean, it's a whole different hurt. I mean, everybody expects children Bury the parents. Sam Sr. says you should hold your loved ones close because you never know when they will leave you.
1: WTOL 11's Michael Sandlin. A unique event's coming up called New Perspectives, a living library. Joel Manty with the Finley-Hancock County Public Library explains what it's about.
0: To break down those barriers of preconceived notions of who someone is, what, what their story is.
1: And the library is seeking volunteers to be storytellers for the program. Get more details in the story on our website. Dr. Bill Coase with Blanchard Valley Health System says navigating the world of healthcare care can sometimes be complicated, but it's an easier process when you have a primary care provider on your side. He says primary care providers conduct routine screenings and ask about your personal and family health history in detail while working to build a relationship in the long term. He says it's indeed a relationship as much as anything, and a patient and primary care provider get to know one another over time. Get more from Dr. Coase on the importance of primary care providers in this story on our website. I'm Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM.
0: And now our Friday cover story. So what is your big summer project? Maybe you've got a home improvement project you're working to get done. Maybe something, lawn and landscaping update or whatever it might happen to be. Well, for lawmakers, the next five-year blueprint for the U.S. Department of Agriculture is due by the end of the summer. Work on the 2023 Farm Bill actually began last year, but a fair number of ag economists do not expect Congress to meet its September 30th deadline. Part of the challenge is that everyone has their own agenda and every stakeholder has their own ideas on how to make it work. USDA contributor Rod Bain takes a closer look at the crafting of this massive piece of legislation.
2: A do far, Bill. Will it be approved by Congress and signed into law by the president this year? That's the hope. Yet as longtime ag advisor and advocate Mary Kay Thatcher acknowledges, This is my ninth farm bill and everyone gets harder than the one before. Farm bills are legislation that must be approved every five years to continue and introduce long-range programs and policy under the oversight of the Agriculture Department. This omnibus spending bill contains several titles dealing with areas ranging from commodity programs to nutrition, conservation and rural development, trade and agricultural research. Yet to several stakeholders and longtime participants in the Farm Bill process, it seems the challenge for Congress to adopt and the President to sign a new Farm Bill into law grows more difficult with each passing cycle. For the most part,
0: farm bills, they're bipartisan. The hassles usually come in regionally. I think we just have to work to make sure that it does continue to be a bipartisan push and that everybody gets some wins and hopefully not too many people get losses.
2: Will Stafford of CHS Incorporated says the education about the farm bill and its significance has also expanded over time. This includes informing new members of Congress why a nutrition title has become increasingly essential to approve farm bills. The farm policy and the nutrition side are married together for a reason, and one
0: does complement the other, and strong farm policy is good for their constituents for having a good, abundant, safe, plentiful, cheap food supply.
2: He adds farm bill education is also important to Congress, to citizens, to bridge a growing urban-rural understanding gap.
0: Every election we're seeing less and less members that have a farm background, that have a
2: rural background, and more and more urban members. So we as an industry need to reach out to some of these members and find where we have common ground. The education process includes the input from stakeholder groups, such as those in the ag and food sector who have spent the past several months crafting their priorities. The climate-smart incentive or practices that might be available, to livestock fit into those?
3: Milk pricing reform provides more flexibility within the federal orders.
2: The new risk administration program is huge, and it's a tool that's used by
0: producers a lot. We need to keep that in place and enhance that program. Maintaining a relative safety net is probably the key point for NSP and the farm bill. The number one priority is to make
2: sure we keep our crop insurance in place. An increase in the math and FMD funding. The research
4: title is vital to us. That's where we get our resources for genetics, additional breeding practices, so all of those programs we want to continue. We're going to make sure that we protect the commodity titles. We've always been big supporters of conservation.
0: Competition titles specific in the farm bill. That'll give farmers and ranchers more protection within the economy to make sure that there aren't anti-competitive practices going on across the industry.
2: USDA's role in crafting farm bills has varied over time. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack says the department will serve in an advisory capacity to Congress for this farm bill. The challenge will be to recognize the changes that are occurring, changes like the market demanding more sustainability and climate-smart commodities, changes like how do we support that circular economy, how do we create a USDA and a farm bill that not only rewards productivity but also ensures profitability, and I think that's going to be the challenge for all of us to be innovative and creative about. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Well, you hear all of those priorities uh, from
0: different groups uh, trying to get their priorities into that final, final farm bill. You can see why it is so complicated and so difficult to come up with a one uh, piece of legislation at the end of the day. As you may know, Sherrod Brown is a member of the Senate Agriculture Committee, the first Ohio senator to serve on that committee in more than a half a century. And as a member of the Senate Ag Committee, he is in his words fighting to include ohio priorities in the 2023 farm bill yesterday we asked him about some of those priorities and about the prospect of actually getting the bill done by the september
4: 30th deadline well the prospects are good we always as most human beings do congress always goes up against deadlines and uh, we'll get it done we do this every five years and as you point out i got on this committee on my first day in the senate back in a number, number of years ago and I got on that committee because I know that committee gets things done uh, without injecting politics. I mean, it's, you, you see all kinds of coalitions. They're more regional. You know, I, I work with Michigan and, and Iowa and South Dakota and Indiana on regional farm issues often. But Ohio's issues always come front and center uh, from uh, protecting Lake Erie to uh, making sure that, uh, that specialty crops and apples in Southern Ohio are. Maple syrup in Northeast Ohio or dairy in Western Ohio and grain crops, row crops in Western Ohio. So, um, I, I spend much of the year leading into this every five year farm bill, um, listening to farmers, round tables, going to places, um, all over the state, representing all kinds of different ag interests. And, uh, we get a good bill that helps all American agriculture. American agriculture is by far the most productive agriculture in the world.
0: With uh, that in mind, a couple of other uh, pieces of legislation that you uh, have introduced and are working on includes the American Food for American Schools Act. Uh talk a little bit about what that would potentially do.
4: Yeah, it's why why should we be serving to our children food grown elsewhere if it's available here? I mean, I understand you can't you can't get Ohio oranges. But I also know you can get a lot of crops grown, not just in Ohio, but locally. And we're doing, trying to work through for schools um help that way to encourage uh, local production. And it's also, when you think about rural, when you think about agriculture, you also think about rural people generally. And uh, one of the biggest shortages and one of the biggest challenges in rural Ohio and small-town Ohio is childcare. And so many people that are working, so many families that are working just can't find affordable, reliable, high-quality childcare. I'm working with people of both parties in this committee uh, to find ways to answer that. I'm working with a Republican from Kansas on the Expanding Child Care in Rural America Act. Um, many of these kinds of ideas, we'll, we'll talk and talk to people about them in both parties and talk to people outside, mostly back in Ohio, and um, come up with agreed-to language in the Farm Bill that should help rural Ohio.
0: The you talk about uh, local farm production helping local uh, farmers uh, or helping farmers on the local level. The Local Farms and Food Act uh, aims to do that as well.
4: How? Well, it it, you 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 we know that if you're buying. Why buy apples from Washington when you can buy them from Geauga County? Why buy vegetables from Mexico when they can grow on a farm in Tiffin or mm-hmm. Finley or Fostoria or Defiance? Uh, it say it's it means they're less expensive. It means they're fresher, and it means injecting money into our local economy. And that's I mean that that's really what this is all about. I, I it's better for all states to buy food locally. We we've seen. We've seen a a tremendous uptake or tremendous uh, many all kinds of farmers markets in cities and small towns all over the country, all over Ohio. Anything we can do to encourage that. Um, Last Farm Bill, five years ago, we created a local, local agricultural market program called LAMP based on feedback we heard from farmers at roundtables. So this is this is almost a formula. Every five years, we write the farm bill. About the fourth year, I start doing more and more uh, farmer roundtables, but not just farmers, but, but locals, rural areas, small towns. I grew up in one. I grew up working on a family farm, uh, milk and dairy, milk and Holsteins and Guernsey. So I, I'm always, I, I never call myself a farmer. I didn't do it as a profession. I did it as a laborer, but um, it's important that we think of those all of those experiences when we sit down and actually write this bill every five years
0: we'll continue to watch uh, progress on the uh, farm bills we go through the process again deadline coming up at the end of september senator sherrod brown thanks very much for taking the time we appreciate it
4: always thanks very much always good talking to you
0: Remember yesterday, we were talking to the divorce lawyer with a new book about how to make divorce a more civil process when a couple decides to split up some much needed advice, given that more than a half of all marriages in this country do end up that way. Now, some will make the argument that people these days throw in the towel, couples these days throw in the towel too early, and there's likely some truth to that. But some marriages really do, some relationships do deserve to end and need to end. I think most of us probably know someone who at one time or another has struggled to break free of a toxic relationship. Well, in her new memoir, Virginia Bennett champions the cause of millions of women who are or have been so trapped and she can relate because she was one of them. The book is called Snowed. And Virginia, in your case, your husband, for as attractive and charismatic as he was, you come to find out he was also a pathological liar, hence the name of the book. Explain how you came to realize that you had gotten snowed.
5: Well, well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. And so I can tell my share my story and hopefully help some people out there. Um, I, he, 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 exactly. He was very charismatic, very charming. And he took me on a, a long, slow ride is what I would call. Mm. And we had gone out for two years and building what he would always say was building a foundation of trust that, that you know, every relationship you need trust. That's the, the foundation. And, uh, it, So off we went. And then when we got married, there was also finances that were involved that I should have known were red flags. But his time, he seemed, everything was, was, uh, I should have have listened to my inner voice. Yeah. But it wasn't until the very, very end of the relationship that then I realized that um, when he had um, taken things of intellectual property and that kind of thing. Um, that was that everything really hit the wall.
0: So because I can I can hear people asking, and this is, you know, part of the judgmental nature that many of us have. So forgive me here, but I can pe- hear people asking, how did you not see this before you married him? Weren't there warning signs?
5: I, I know. And that's a really good question. And, it, and it's very true. And when our heart becomes. When we become, it, falling in love and that dopamine and you just, love, love is blind as, 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 you know, the saying goes at mm-hmm. times. Some people are exactly are very much more on, the not going to, they, they go with their first instincts more. And for those of us that, that don't, and um, I grew up with a philosophy of, of believing somebody trusting until they proved me otherwise. Mm. Well, I since have, you know, now I trust that verify. And he had an answer for everything. Anything that kind of like didn't seem right. Oh, he just had an answer right there on the spot. And some things were kind of like, well, I don't know. When I asked that question, I didn't quite get the same answer as the last time. Yeah, But it, sometimes it's just, it's kind of like, whatever, it doesn't matter. And also too, it does depend on the person. I'm a very forgiving person, very empathetic. And I have since, um, you know, widened up to that. But yeah. there are a, a lot of people that, yeah, don't quite um, that that have that empathy, and that's what they that's what they look for, and they and they know that. Yeah. And and his he made his goals my goals. I mean, I so then you think also that this person is this is, I found my soulmate. He likes everything I do. He he er, things that I my perception on things are his perceptions. So yeah, that, that kind of. You know, it's it's interesting. Against
0: me. It, it's interesting. You you talk about uh, you know your nature to want to believe the best about everyone, but you were not a, a naive teenager at this time. You were a uh, you were in your forties. You were already divorced. Um, mm-hmm. You are you know successful. Uh, you ran a large uh, family farm. Uh, you know cattle ranch. You are uh, somebody who. Is very grounded and obviously, with your experiences, you would think so. It must have been even more personally devastating to have to admit to yourself what you had gotten yourself into.
5: And and it was it was extremely humiliating. I I, I when it all came to be, which I didn't want to believe it for for quite a while. Um, But as I tell in the story of how it all all came to be and that, mm. that I found out, I, I was I was so embarrassed. I I thought I wanted to die. I just, I lost a lot of money. I, I, my family, my, my upset, my father, Mm -hmm. and that really crushed me and my children.
0: And then to go back and also have to, as you were saying, you know, that realization that I should have seen the warning signs, the warning signs were there and I should have seen them probably didn't help, you know, in terms of beating yourself up over this whole thing too.
5: No, it, exactly. It didn't. It didn't. That, that was, I just, I, I, was, uh, I was devastated. Absolutely devastated.
0: So how did you finally break free?
5: Well, I, I finally broke free. There's two steps to it. And, and one, the first was completely not, engage, not talking to this person and or seeing, seeing him that as an addiction with drugs, with alcohol. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just, I, I knew I had to go cold Turkey because whatever he said, he could just draw me back in. And he was also that he very, he played the pity party. You know, he, he was the one that always always seemed to be the victim when Mm -hmm. really he was not the victim, but they're very good, very, very good at that. And then it wasn't until I was able to speak with some people that actually knew him that had, had been married to him and then I was able, cause I just felt nobody else could understand him. No, like I did. Yeah. You know, nobody knew him like I did. That's how much he got under my skin and in my
0: head. So now this yeah. has been how many years ago? This was about 10 years ago. And, and are you still at that same place? Uh, and, and are you, no. are you fearful that there might be some retribution for sharing your story? That kind of thing?
5: Well, that I am. I am. But, but, that if I could help somebody, and there's organizations that ha- that I, it took me a long time to to reach and to have them help me and to help me get and realize that this was a sociopath. Mm-hmm. Um I if I can help one person that it, it, that outweighs my fear.
0: And and what is the message here for like we said millions of women who are in unhealthy relationships? What is the message that you want to impart to those women?
5: Well, the the unhealthy relationship that I was in is is with a sociopath and a pathological love relationship is different than uh than uh, than, a, than a other Unhealthy relationships. There, there's there's varying ones, mm-hmm. but I, I guess if somebody is just questionable questioning, excuse me, their situation that there are organizations that they could call and 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 get help with, um, help with identifying what they're in and and an exit plan. That's very very important, and to have support when you're in that type of relationship because that person also in a sociopathic relationship. And a very abusive emotional relationship, they want to isolate you. So then you fear even talking to anybody. Oh my gosh, you know what will happen to me if I do? You'll accept them, and, and that's exactly what I, I want women to know. And there's men. There are some men also that are in these types of relationships, but unfortunately, I've, yeah. I've heard very bad.
0: Yeah, a, a, sad that a fair point. But, a fair point. This is not uh, exclusive to one gender or the other. Uh, no, and, and, exactly. and, and maybe even more importantly, what is the message here to those who see others in toxic relationships and want to help? Uh, but at the same time, like we said, there's that judgmental nature. Uh, what is the message mm-hmm. to those on the outside looking in?
5: To, to not give up in helping them. If they see that and they talk to that first, to, to their loved one who's in the relationship and doesn't want to believe them, to not give an ultimatum, you know, like, okay, if you don't, you know, can't you see that? If you can't see it, well, then forget it, which is hard because you you do you, you want to just like oh my gosh you just you see it so plainly and then your loved one or friend is in this relationship and they can't but to not to not give up and maybe then do some research or or as in my book i have at the end of the book of some resources that then maybe help that person in that manner and just, just to not to not give up because yeah. they really do need help <laughs>
0: How much of writing this book for you was sort of like therapy and and helping you sort of uh, you know get past all all of this?
5: Well, it was in the beginning, it was very embarrassing. Once I put it on paper, yeah. I I can't believe this is me that I did that. But as it went on, it was like, no, I really need. I I, I want people to to see and un- understand and hopefully. Again, that, um, that there's, there's hope in how I got through it. I have some things in there about it uh, on an hourly basis, daily basis, when you're that, that mm-hmm. down and that, um, um, you know well distraught.
0: as as you were saying earlier relating it to an addiction uh this is sort of like a recovery you know a recovery process uh, again yes uh yes. virginia bennett is author of the uh, memoir snowed uh virginia do you have a website where folks can learn more about the book
5: yes i sure do dot com.
0: Okay. snowed
5: TrueStory.com
0: altogether. A really hard-hitting memoir, Virginia Bennett. Thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it.
5: Thank you so much. Thank you.
4: We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert.
0: The U.S. military actually makes the broken news today, and that's a bit of a rarity, but the Pentagon says that a small typo caused thousands of U.S. military emails to be mistakenly sent to someone in a country in West Africa. <laughs> Oops. See the uh, military uses the uh, suffix .mil in all of their email addresses. You know, if you have a, a military email address it's so and so at army.mil or what us.army.mil or whatever but .mil is the uh, is the suffix. The government in Mali uses the suffix .ml, no I. A spokesperson for, (laughs) you can see where this is going. A spokesperson for the Department of Defense tells ABC News that they have been aware that this spelling error could result in the misdirection of emails, military emails, since 2015. (laughs) This has been a problem now. They do say that none of the misdirected emails are uh, classified. This is all unclassified stuff because they don't send classified information via email because it is inherently insecure or unsecure anyway. um, But this comes after the Pentagon announced that some of the emails sent to Mali do contain national security information. (laughs) The department has taken steps to prevent this from happening in the future. Or so they say, that somebody in Mali has all of our national security information. <laughs> That's a big oops right there. How would you how would you like to discover that for the better part of a decade you've been sending <laughs> your national defense emails To someone, some anonymous person in Mali. (laughs) That would be very embarrassing to have to uh, uh, admit to your superior officer, I would think. Elsewhere in the broken news this morning, it looks like the Easter Bunny finally has gotten some justice. Joby Poole, I think is how you pronounce the name. Joby, J-O-B-Y. Joby Poole, who apparently is the mastermind behind the theft of a truckload of Cadbury cream eggs from a warehouse in Shropshire, England, has been sentenced for his crime. This according to a report from the BBC. Back in February, Mr. Poole managed to snatch an entire trailer filled with 200,000 Cadbury cream eggs. And I mean, honestly, who doesn't like Cadbury cream eggs? Oh, I understand the attraction. I get it. But still, the value of the uh, purloined uh, eggs, uh, the pilfered eggs, over $34,000 of gooey, chocolatey, creamy goodness. $34,000 worth of cranberry uh, cream eggs. Now, Mr. Poole is serving time behind bars for his crime. 18 months, he was sentenced to. Uh, the six months that he already spent in custody awaiting his trial uh, will uh, count toward that he did get credit for time served. So. I don't know. I, You know, I'm thinking, uh, reading this story, that 18 months in exchange for 200,000 Cadbury cream eggs, that seems like a fair exchange. I, I don't know. I think <laughs> you really think about it. I, I think that's a fair swap. That's worth risking, you decide. Uh you might have heard about this story, uh it was making headlines and this is just all kinds of disgusting. A Burger King employee in North Carolina has been arrested for serving french fries from the garbage to paying customers. The Union Police Department in North Carolina received a complaint and later arrested 39-year-old Jamie Christine Major after she allegedly took fries out of the trash Put them back into the fry dump, uh, along with freshly cooked fries on top. So, I mixed them all together. Mix the fries, the stale fries from the garbage with the fresh fries that had just come up. And serve them to customers. She is now being charged with malicious tampering with human food.
2: Uh.
0: <clears throat> I hope she gets more than 18 months for the pilfering of the Cadbury cream eggs. You know? I mean, one is clearly worse than the other. (laughs) I don't think I'll be ordering fast food fries (laughs) for a while after hearing that story. Uh, Let's see. (laughs) Amber Harris uh, took a trip to Yellowstone National Park the other day. Uh, Recently, I don't want to say the other day. She recently visited Yellowstone National Park, and she was one of those, and this has been... A recurring theme, it seems, this summer. She was one of those who, like an idiot, got too close to the bison in the park. And sure enough, she got gored. It's the second bison attack in one week in a U.S. national park. Yellowstone has warned visitors stay away, stay far away from the bison because they're not messing around. They don't like humans. And they will let you know it in no uncertain terms. And they're bigger than you are. But here's the thing. (laughs) Uh, Amber uh, and her boyfriend were at Yellowstone. He had planned to propose. (laughs) Uh, When she mucked that all up because she went and got herself gored, he improvised and uh, popped the question right there in the hospital instead. Uh, She was posting on this uh, uh, on social media after suffering a fractured fractured spine and a collapsed lung because of the goring. She now has a full heart. My love got down on one knee beside my hospital bed and formally asked me to be his wife. Without any hesitation, I said yes. Uh, The irony is that the bison are attacking humans because it's mating season. (laughs) So, kind of relates to that. Here's hoping that they just take a honeymoon to Disney or something. You know, just go, don't go to a national park. Don't go anywhere that there are bison. Although, uh, you go to Florida, they've got uh, gators. So, that could end very badly, (laughs) given her track record. And finally, in the broken news this morning, police in India are alleging that a woman hired a snake charmer to kill her boyfriend. Um, Officials found the body of Ankin Chuan uh, earlier this month, first suspecting uh, they, they found his body in a car. They first suspected that he died of carbon monoxide poisoning, but an investigation found that he had uh, cobra snake venom in his system. The Toxology uh, Report uh, uncovered the uh, venom. They found the bite. His girlfriend, Mahi uh, Arya, had been communicating, it turns out, with a snake charmer and paid him about $121.88 to off her boyfriend. She has since been arrested And her friend and two housekeepers may have been in on the plot. They face charges as well. Uh, The prosecutors say that those individuals probably got him drunk, which uh, made him, you know, which when he was inebriated, uh, he didn't know what was going on. Then they unleashed the Cobra. So here is the reason I bring this up. This is maybe the most disturbing part of this story to me. I and mean, it's all disturbing. But this is maybe the most disturbing part. That she was able to hire a snake charmer to kill someone for less than 125 bucks. <laughs> it only costs, in India, it only costs $121.88 to hire a hitman. That's a little disconcerting. Just keep that in mind. If your spouse comes to you and says, hey, let's take a trip to India.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, that dream vacation to India may not be all it's cracked up to be. I'm just saying. There you go. Uh, that <laughs> that did, my wife just said that the other day. I think we should go to India. Maybe she knew something. <laughs> that is your broken news report. This morning, an update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming.
3: You don't think twice about wearing your seatbelt. Going boating? Real boaters wear a life jacket. It's easy to do. Accidents can happen quickly, and if you're not wearing your life jacket, you won't have time to put it on if it's stowed. So pick a comfortable life jacket and wear it. Remember, life jackets are for everyone, regardless of your age or swimming ability. Have fun, make memories, and boat responsibly. This message brought to you by the National Safe Boating Council and U.S. Coast Guard.
2: This message provided by
0: WFIN. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. So the weekend is coming up. Are you going to order takeout at some point during the weekend? Most of us will uh, will do that at some point, usually on the weekends. Uh, This is kind of interesting. Data from the Bureau of Economic Analysis finds that uh, 34% of Americans, 34% of us, spend at least $50 when we order takeout. But which state splurges the most? Uh, Looking at the data from all 50 states and Washington, D.C., finds that the folks in D.C. actually spend an average of $6,241 a year ordering takeout. Now, for comparison, the national average is $3,631. So uh, almost double. Uh, Hawaii and Maine came in second and third place, uh, the most money spent on takeout annually, with $4,600 and dollars respectively. So still well behind D.C. They are well, you know, far and away the number one uh, place for ordering takeout. Uh, Oklahomans. Uh, Are the most frugal, they average only $2,756 per year. Ohio, almost right in the middle at $3,651 spent each year on takeout. That's just a few dollars above the national average. So we're right about in the middle. Uh, When you break down the numbers, Atlanta is the city with the most takeout lovers, the most people who order takeout, or Atlanta. Atlanta. San Francisco, the city with the most takeout options. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And did you know that pizza delivery or, and or pizza takeout uh, represents 76% of all food-related searches nationwide? Three out of four food-related searches online are for either pizza delivery or pizza takeout. And here is where it really gets interesting and where you really have to be careful because it is very easy to overdo it. As we said, uh, one in three of us spend at least $50 per order when we order takeout. And they find that 20% of Americans will spend more when they order on an app versus when they are physically at the restaurant. So... This is one of the reasons why restaurants love their apps, because they know that you are most likely to spend more when you order on an app versus when you are physically in the restaurant. Now, I don't know, and this report doesn't say, how the amount of food we order varies or compares when you're like phoning in an order. I would imagine it's probably somewhere in the middle, but... Uh, You spend the most when you order on an app, so just be mindful of that the next time that you order. You will probably spend less on the phone, and you will definitely spend less if you are physically at the restaurant, even if you are ordering it to go. Once again, to finish up the week as is tradition, my wife Kyra has joined us in the studio. Good morning. Good morning. So we're doing something. This is, uh, I guess, a little bit different. A little bit. Um, it strikes me, and we have this in our family. Yes, <laughs> uh, I think most families do. If you have ever struggled with the challenge of accommodating the unique dietary needs of each family member, yes, uh, maybe someone is gluten free or mm-hmm. maybe somebody can't have sugar right. or maybe you know someone's diabetic or right. you know whatever right. everybody or, or just some people are picky eaters yes. while somebody else will try anything yes. you know whatever it might happen to be yeah <laughs> whatever it might happen to be if you have struggled with that challenge to meet the needs of everybody without making you know 20 different dishes uh, that's for, the hard part yeah I mean and it could be a big uh, gathering, mm-hmm. big family gathering, or it could be just dinner with the family yeah. where you don't want to make all these different dishes. So. Right. We've got a special collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen (laughs) that can be adapted for those unique needs.
3: Right. So my first one is meatball zucchini boats. Um, So it's two medium zucchinis, one tablespoon of extra virgin olive oil, half a teaspoon of Italian seasoning, half a teaspoon of garlic powder. Uh, Kosher salt, freshly ground pepper, one pound of ground beef, one tablespoon of dried parsley, one large egg, one and a half tablespoons of minced garlic, two teaspoons of your meat seasoning, whatever your favorite is, um, a half a teaspoon of crushed red pepper flakes, two cups of marinara sauce, and one cup of shredded mozzarella cheese. Okay. So preheat your oven to 350 degrees. Cut your zucchini lengthwise And use a spoon to scoop out the center. Then uh, place in a shallow baking dish, drizzle with your olive oil, your season, and season with your Italian seasoning, your garlic powder powder and your salt and pepper bake the those for 12 to 15 minutes uh until mostly tender tender remove them from the oven they don't have to be completely tender because you're going to put them back in yeah um and then um make your meatballs in a large bowl mix your beef your parsley your egg your garlic um, your meat seasoning and your red pepper f- flakes form those into about 18 meatballs. Now,
0: it should be said you can cheat and get the, like the frozen oh, meatballs. yeah, yeah. <laughs> if yeah. you don't want to make but, your own meatballs. But,
3: right, and, so yeah, this, the, the principle this still one applies doesn't to. have the breadcrumbs in it. These meatballs do okay. not have breadcrumbs in them. That's a good so, point. So, that makes it a little bit more healthy. It, um, the well, for those is that are what? on,
0: like, a uh, no-carb uh, diet, if Correct. you, yeah, yes. so, Yep. So, you're really strict about that. Yes.
3: So place on a baking sheet. Bake for about 20 minutes. And you can bake those the same time that you're baking your boats. You just need to take them. Your zucchini boats. You just need to take them out a little bit earlier. Okay. Uh, so once the meatballs are cooked, uh, place in a saucepan with your marinara. Uh, stir them up. Um, let them be fully immersed in the sauce. <laughs> it
0: says here fully sauced. Yes. Which means something different yes. depending on your application. You don't want to be. Sauced, you want the, <laughs> the meatballs, meatballs to be to sauced, be sauced. <laughs>
3: yes um and then simmer for about 10 minutes uh remove from the heat then fill your zucchini boats with meatballs top with your with your mozzarella and broil until the cheese is melted three to five
0: minutes okay
3: now the one thing with us with our family chris is i am not a, a big veggie zucchini. person I, well i'm not a
0: zucchini person yes. uh, in particular i mean
3: starchy vegetables yeah where i like green vegetables right so for him for his main course i put his meatballs in a bun and and broiled them at the and then put the mozzarella on his, yeah, and then broiled them at the same time that I broiled the zucchini boats
0: right, so, so then. You know, right next to the pan with the zucchini boats. Yes. She had mine with the with the toasted. They came out with the toasted bun and they were yummy. Yes. Um, But again, I it you know, bread is not a big deal for me. Correct. Uh, You're trying to avoid that. So this was perfect. It's one dish. You Mm -hmm. can do it either way. Correct. For everybody in the family. Yes. So really cool. The meatball zucchini boats. To go along with that, we have a Parmesan roasted broccoli. Yes. So
3: three cups of fresh broccoli, uh, florets, one and a half tablespoons of olive oil, three tablespoons of minced garlic, half a teaspoon of salt, uh, one eighth teaspoon of pepper and one cup of, uh, fresh grated Parmesan cheese. So pre your oven to 425 degrees, line a baking sheet with foil, spray general, generously with some nonstick cooking spray and a large bowl, um, Add your broccoli, your olive oil, your garlic, your Parmesan cheese. Mix that all together. Pour it onto your baking sheet. Sprinkle with any leftover uh, crumbs. Bake uh, for eighteen to twenty minutes. Remove from the oven. Let sit for one to two, and enjoy. So very easy.
0: So, uh, and then again to accommodate myself because yes. I'm not big on broccoli, I just had waffle fries. Yes, which yes,
3: <laughs> the- waffle fries, or sometimes I'll do a baked potato for you, or
0: a baked potato. But here's <laughs> the you thing. Like- Yes, yeah. uh, but here's the thing. The waffle fries take what? About 18 to 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. So right. about the same amount of time as the Parmesan roasted broccoli. Mm-hmm. So yep. while it's making something else, mm-hmm. at least it's about the same t- amount Correct. of time. So Correct. there you go.
3: And you could put it Again. in the oven together.
0: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and then for dessert, uh, these are gluten-free monster cookies. Yes. Again, for those who uh, are gluten-free, mm-hmm. Uh, which again, our daughter in law is gluten free, yes, and
3: our granddaughter, and our granddaughter, and granddaughters,
0: um, granddaughters. Now, right? <laughs> we and, have two now. <laughs> <laughs> although the youngest one is not really on any, a whole lot no, of solid she's food not, yet. No, but no, in any event, and we dig- digress. Yeah, these are yummy. Whether or not you are gluten free, these are delicious. And if you have somebody who is not gluten free, they will never be able to tell the difference.
3: <laughs> nope. Well, these went great. I always yeah, take fourth these of fourth, July. Of July yeah, fourth of July, yeah, Fourth of July party, they and they're went. gone. Yeah. yeah. So uh, two eggs, one cup brown sugar, one cup sugar, one and a half cups peanut butter, a half a cup of softened butter, one tablespoon of corn syrup, a half a teaspoon of salt, a half a teaspoon of vanilla, one and a half cups of M&Ms, one cup of semi-sweet chocolate chips, two tablespoons of baking soda, and three cups of quick oats. So preheat your oven to 350 degrees, prepare your cookie sheet with uh, your liner or your cooking spray, combine your eggs, your vanilla, your salt, sugar, brown sugar, and baking soda in a large bowl, add in your peanut butter, your corn syrup, and your butter, mix until well incorporated, stir in your M&Ms, your chocolate chips, and your oatmeal, uh, use a cookie scoop or a large spoon and place on your prepared uh, sheet several inches apart because they are going to spread. They mm-hmm. are a thinner, chewy cookie. Yep. And for, they're big. They're yeah, monster cookies. They're, yep. Bake for about 10 minutes. Leave on the cookie sheet and you definitely want to leave them on the cookie sheet because these are a thin, chewy cookie. So you need to leave them on your cookie sheet for at least three minutes. Remove... And then put them on, I put mine on wax paper, let them completely cool, and mm. then store in a uh, tight, airtight container, and then enjoy.
0: Yeah. And uh, don't worry, you will not have any that you will have to bring back home no. after your no. uh, gathering or what nope. have you. They'll be gone. They These are, gone. are monster good. Yes. So the meatball zucchini boats, the Parmesan roasted broccoli, and the gluten-free monster cookie recipes are all on the Kairos Kitchen Facebook page, right? right? Yep. At Kyra's Kitchen, WFIN on Facebook. We also have it linked up at our webpage at goodmornings.net for all of those recipes. And my wife Kyra, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. Also, while you're there, be sure to sign up for our daily email newsletter. You can always keep track of what we're doing each and every day on the program, what's coming up on the podcast daily. and sign up for the Email newsletter directly from the website only takes about 30 seconds. You can opt out at any time. So, again, check it out goodmornings.net. So, until Monday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.